Hello. Today, following up from last week, in which I spoke about my year, a little bit beyond just the year, actually, kind of decade, year, several years kind of thing. Um, we're going to see if, uh, if Matthew has some, some thoughts to share, some reflections, some introspection, some projections, some other shins, words. Uh, and we're going to give him space to do so if he, if he wishes. Um, and that may spiral out into any kind of conversation. We don't know. We're on this journey together. Yeah, I think this one's going to be a bit of a grab bag, but <laughs> after listening to you speak last week about your year, um, and maybe with the thought that I would have to do something similar this week, uh, I think about the year as a whole, but maybe it led me to think about a slightly different topic, which would he may be interesting to a select few people, but maybe we'll talk about it anyway, which would be, uh, we'll preface, I had had the opportunity to work with a ministry group out in Southern Utah, which is where uh, James and I had met. Uh, but that story as a side note, getting to Utah, uh, to me, that the only thing that would make sense would be to take a basically a small street legal dirt bike from New York to Utah and with sufficient time to do that where it was geared in a way that it would go slightly quicker, maybe top speed with the tailwind downhill, full tuck, 70 miles an hour. But it kind of forces you to take back roads and to really enjoy this process. And so somebody wrote a book that I never read. It's called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Uh, never read it. But I haven't either, but it's quite well known. Somebody was telling me that it's, it's neither about Zen nor about motorcycle maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'll speak more about Zen and the art of small displacement motorcycle travel. Uh, it sounds wonderful. For that was, yeah, that was a big part of the year was getting out there. So, um, so I had to, to get out to Southern Utah from New York and, uh, with very few possessions, it's easy to just put things into a backpack and strap it to the back of a bike. Uh, I mailed my computer ahead of me and uh, kind of took off. So it was very cold here in New York when I left. So I was able to rent a pickup truck from the airport and I drove down to South Carolina, Charleston, where I've got two real good friends there. And the weather was a bit warmer. Uh, so I dropped the truck off and stayed in Charleston for a few days. and head off from there. Went as far south as St. Augustine, Florida, uh, and then was going to follow the Gulf Coast along. But aside from having a specific time frame or a loose time frame, but with a trying to get to Utah by this date because of my obligations with this program, um, it was very up in the air as far as weather and which way I would go and what roads to take and, and whatnot. So Maybe I'll speak about the actual physical process, and then we'll go back in and talk about the process otherwise. And so from Charleston, it was down to St. Augustine, Florida. I took I-95 very briefly, uh, just because the traffic on the side roads was getting pretty wild. 
uh, spent the day there with, with some friends of my brother, which was very kind for them to put me up. And then at that point, leaving St. Augustine, it was just, you know, here we go. So uh, after spanning Florida's distance there around Pensacola is kind of when uh, everything, you're just open to, to everything. And it's really this process of letting go of your own real agenda and meet people. And in a way, you're forced to be dependent on others uh, in many ways. It, for me, it was everything from directions to food to um, places to sleep and, and all these things. And uh, not to sound like a mooch or anything, because I do hope where all transactions or interactions are mutual, you're able to provide some sort of, uh, be it spiritual sustenance or, or otherwise to folks for their kindness. Um, so follow the Gulf around. Uh, and one of the bigger pivotal points uh, was coming through Louisiana into Texas. And I'd never been to the Gulf before in general. So to spend a few days along it was, it was really heart melting and beautiful. Uh, but then coming into Texas was very interesting. I had different impressions of what it would be like. And it was like this very uh, sad landscape with a lot of factories and, and all of these other I don't know, uh, industrial complexes. And just prior to that, uh, let me backtrack a little bit. When I would stop at places, people would be, usually about Louisiana is where it would happen. People would see this uh, little dirt bike with a New York license plate and the big reaction usually was, wait a second, no, you didn't, did you? I'd say, well, yes, I did. Uh, and I'm still going, I've got to get to Utah. And this general, like, you're crazy. How could you do that? Or you were amazing. I can't believe it. But to me, it was just like, this is the only thing that makes sense, right? Not why do people get into motorcycle riding, right? Because it's cool and you can attract babes or men and, you know, but for me, it's, it's beyond those things. It's really the economy of it uh, and the opportunity to kind of forced to be going slow on back roads. And uh, I get 80, 80 miles a gallon somewhere in there and it's not for everybody, but for me, it's uh, just, it's the most economical, most practical way of, of getting around. And so in spite of these reactions from folks, <clears throat> uh, it was really just logical to me. And uh, so about Louisiana, again, uh, when I would stop at places, people would ask where I was going and, and so forth. And they'd say, oh, you have to take this road. I mean, this is a beautiful road. Uh, go this way. This is beautiful. If you want to see something, go this way. And that would kind of dictate which ways I would end up going. And towards the end of Louisiana, before this point in Texas, there was this one road that uh, was very beautiful. It ran along the water so much so that it looks like even the water erodes away pieces of the road, not well maintained. And uh, I went from this very beautiful thing uh, all of a sudden into this part of Texas. And I had this emotional kind of overwhelming feeling of just all of a sudden, like I said, these industrial, you know, just smog everywhere. Uh, and it was like that until it started to rain. <laughs> and then these downpours. So one of the first things to talk about is, is acceptance of a situation. Uh, so granted, you could listen to this and say, well, you know, you put yourself into the situation. And to a degree, I'm responsible for that. But the little things in life, right? So you, you have to accept the weather. I have to accept the rain. I could choose to be miserable in it. I could also choose to not ride in it. And in some regards, I do if it gets real bad. But um, 
acceptance of it and, and kind of learning to say, this is what it is, right? I'm going to get soaked. I might as well make the most of it. And in my time of desperation, right, I believe that everything will work out. And thankfully, you know, my backpack isn't waterproof, but this gentleman gave me a raincoat to put over my backpack. So uh, my things didn't get wet and it was really fantastic. And coming out of that into the Texas Hill Country was back into this uh, beautiful landscape. And uh, I hit this point many years back where uh, Big Bend National Park was my favorite place. It was just this beautiful, uh, beautiful landscape with these, I mean, it goes from the desert to these beautiful mountains. And I'd wanted to go back there, especially because of the time of year. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be hot down there. It would have been pretty temperate. But I realized that it's way far out of the way and that I probably didn't have time if I was trying to get to uh, Utah in a relatively timely manner, all things considered. So I'm at literally at the intersection where I would go the 60 miles to Big Bend uh, or choose to go straight. And I say, I'm at the gas station. I say, no, you know what? I'm going to continue on, be responsible, and I'll come back to Big Bend another time. And as soon as I make this decision, right, this truck pulls into the gas station at the pump next to the one I'm at and it's got a trailer and it's towing uh, a big a big motor a bigger motorcycle an adventure motorcycle it's a Africa twin a very beautiful machine and the gentleman gets out and uh, again I I think I started a conversation just said oh you know neat neat bike because it was like the bigger brother of the tiny little bike I was riding uh, so we got in, into talking and unprompted, right? This gentleman uh, says, you know, my goodness, you have to come to Big Bend. You know, I will cover your entrance into the park. I'll pay for your campsite, but like come and like ride around with me for a few days. You have to come. It's going to be fantastic. So I said, well, you know what? Why not? I'll, I'll come to Big Bend. I wanted to anyway, and maybe I feel like I should. And I had a few things I wanted to do then because Big Bend, again, is it's rather isolated from things. So I wanted to stop at this little corner store and just get some kind of rations for the next few days. And uh, the gentleman, his name was Mike, he says, uh, okay, here's the campsite I'll be at and you'll see the trailer, just come and find me and uh, we can ride together and spend time together. So he goes off towards the park and I go to the, it's like a tiny little grocery store and I was kind of taking my time and I slowly get things together. I had a snack and I get back on the bike and I head down this long, long straight road. Like I said, about 60 miles to the entrance of the park. And as I'm driving down, eventually I see Mike coming the other way with his truck and he flags me down and says to follow him. So now the story from his side, his perspective is rather interesting. Uh, he says to me after, in retrospect of the whole thing, uh, I leave the gas station after meeting this young man that seemed really enthused about all of this, you know, and I head to the campsite and he gets to the campsite and it's full and there's no room. And he says, my goodness, how am I going to, how am I going to be able to communicate with this young man? How am I going to get in touch with him? So Mike waits by the entrance of the park and anytime a car pulls in, he flags them down and he says, you know, did you see? Uh, you know, somebody on a tiny little dirt bike coming down the road and everybody says no, you know, because meanwhile I'm in town kind of twiddling my thumbs. And he says to himself after a, a period of time, I'm going to drive uh, for 
whatever it was, I think he's, I think it was like 15 miles or 10 miles back down the road. And if I see him great, if I don't, I won't feel bad because I'll know that I, at least I put a good effort into, to get uh, in touch with this, with this gentleman. So he's going down the road. And I think for him, it was like, if it was 10 miles, it was at mile seven or eight, right. It's when we saw each other. Uh, so it was like this, you know, perfect timing kind of thing, uh, which was really wonderful. And so we look at timing of stuff, right. And, uh, whatever was going on in my mind, right? If I was too soon, I would have missed him. And if I was too late, I would have missed him. But realizing that this process is unfolding without my having to overthink it. And we ended up spending it two days, maybe three days in Big Bend. It was really, really wonderful. And I'm glad I did. And coming out of Big Bend, then I was way south on the border of Mexico. So I followed that up. And this is where we get into the dependency of others. Uh, and through Marfa, Texas, heading to El Paso was a big stretch of open highways. And I leave Marfa after getting gas because I knew that maybe there wouldn't be a gas station for a while. Uh, somebody had mentioned that to me. So maybe 20 miles outside of Marfa, right? There's like the winds are just so strong. Now this little dirt bike doesn't weigh more than 300 pounds. So the wind is just like blowing it off the road. You know, it's like really, really crazy. Uh, so I pull over a bunch of times and anytime I start to go again, the wind blows me off and uh, this big motorcycle coming in the other direction uh, with plates from Montana, uh, he passes me and then a minute later he sees me on the side of the road and he, I guess he made a U-turn and came back over to me and he's like, everything okay? And I had explained, I just keep getting blown off the road and he says, you know, you just got to pin it like 80 miles an hour and go and like... <laughs> So, well, my bike doesn't go more than 70 <laughs> on a good day. Um, and he pulled off. So I said, you know, I'm going to try it. And I just, you know, take a deep breath and just, you know, rip the throttle wide open, just gun it down the road. And the wind is just blowing me off the road. And I'm kind of leaning my body weight to counteract it. And it's kind of working, but not really. And as I get further down the road, a little bit further than I had before, there's this massive wall of dust and these tiny little uh, dust devils, I guess they're called, that were like zipping across the road back and forth. Uh, and it was terrifying. So I, <laughs> I stop for a second. I make a U-turn. I head back to Marfa. I pull in the gas station. And I realized I, I couldn't get through that. I didn't know how big this dust storm was. Uh, and I said, boy, I'm, I will try my luck at hitchhiking. And otherwise, uh, I'll stay in Marfa. So I go into the gas station and I make a sign. It basically said, uh, too windy, El Paso. And any pickup truck, thankfully, there were a lot that passed by. You know, I would wave the sign. And within 20 minutes, uh, a car pulls over. It's a pickup truck. And this older man comes out and he says he was going to El Paso. And uh, his sister said that, he should stop and pick me up. Thank, thank God. And uh, it turns out now that that dust storm lasted from Marfa to El Paso, which was, I mean, maybe five, five hours, if I'm remembering correct. And it was a dust storm in El, in El Paso as well. So it was, uh, I wouldn't, I never would have made it. So super grateful for this gentleman. Uh, he was a very fascinating, very loving, very kind man. Uh, let me stay at his sister's house in El Paso. Uh, and just how, kind he was to a total stranger and in situations like this 
you realize that, uh, again, you're dependent on other people for these things, but you're also dependent to respond to the kindness and love that is in everybody. I mean, so many, and everybody, I think, has these little stories in their lives. Uh, for me, traveling distances like that, um, you realize it every day uh, as far as like just being at a campsite somewhere and somebody coming over and saying, hey, uh, do you want a salad? You know, we have a salad and just feel like we should give it to you. <laughs> oh my goodness, of course, it's wonderful. And uh, you're forced into conversations and just meeting people and uh, really, really heart melting, just the, the beauty of it. So after El Paso, it was uh, through New Mexico, then to Arizona, and then up into, up into Utah. And again, there's so many more little tales through all of this, but to keep it relatively concise, uh, it's just like this humbling journey. So I look at the world of motorcycle riding, right? Because that's how we started all of this and say, where are these, where do these uh, spiritual philosophies fit into it? And in a way, uh, in, as far as long distance travels goes, it, it is a letting go process, letting go of having a real set plan, uh, letting go of having a real set agenda and just kind of being open to the unfolding of stuff, being open to going to Big Bend, even though it you know, didn't make sense, or being open to uh, you know, hitchhiking or being open to having other people kind of plan out what roads you take it and trusting in uh, that process of what I can learn through this. Now it goes both ways, obviously. There is, there is no denying that there is a rational and a practical and a functional side of things where you need to take precautions and all these other pieces. I don't want to not mention that because maybe it it can get too lofty sometimes, but there's definitely a necessity for that grounded piece. Um, but otherwise, I mean, again, then there's, you're forced into simple living because uh, you can't carry much on a motorcycle and uh, to, to have faith and, and trust all that stuff. But a few other things in, in motorcycle riding particular, right? There's uh, the idea of this immediate forgiveness because you are, you're riding with, you know, maybe, a two inch square of contact patch on the front wheel or maybe like a three inch square on the rear wheel. And that's the only thing keeping you connected to the road uh, in the motorcycle uh, training program. If, if you choose to do that, um, they teach you that. Well, one of the wise things they say is if you're in a rush, I mean, don't take the bike because you know, it's not a safe way to go. And also that you cannot react to stuff that happens, right? So you're forced to learn this non-reactive thing. So if you're riding, right, you've got to be totally vigilant at all times. And if somebody cuts you off, you can't get mad. You can't like, you know, get crazy because you've got to react and adjust and, you know, make preparations for them to do something else or for someone else to cut you off. And so you are forced into this like really focused and uh, really emotionally detached place that is incredibly meditative. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of folks and they say that, you know, riding is their therapy. And I just don't think that they have the awareness of what's really going on. It's because you are in this like really focused, really meditative place and you're forced to forgive and you're forced to understand and you're forced to just move on and, and not to harbor these feelings of anger or, uh, you know, so forth or so on, depending on what's happening to you. Um, another interesting thing is the idea of, of target fixation and 
you, I mean, you could look on YouTube and uh, not to exploit people that push the, put these videos up, but uh, if you're making a turn on a motorcycle, this is where it happens most often, right? If you, uh, if you're coming up to a curve and you misjudge the curve and rather than kind of lean into it further and give it the gas, uh, which is seems counterintuitive, but it's kind of what you should do to get out of those situations. Typically, um, people will kind of bail out of the turn and so they'll end up going off the road. And let's say that there's this big open field that they pull out into and there's like one little sign, like one pole that is, I don't know, six inches in circumference, right? This little pole in this whole field. And the guy will be riding in this massive field and hit that one pole. And it's the idea of target fixation where you, and on a bike, you're supposed to look where you want to go. And if you are looking at this pole saying, I'm not going to hit it. I don't want to hit it. I don't want to hit it. Just by fixating on it, you're going to hit it. And there's countless videos on the internet of this, of people hitting like the one object in this big open space. And so this idea of target fixation, uh, we look at our own lives, right? And, and how is that also possible? The things that we obsess over about not wanting, uh, you know, like I don't want this, I don't want that, I don't want this, and it ends up coming our way and we say, oh, you know, it's karma, or oh, it's bad luck, or oh, I give in, you know, I've got uh, no say in what happens in my life. And maybe to a degree, circumstances we can't control, but things where we get real focused on stuff, uh, it takes away from, from really being able to successfully get through a situation. Uh, I have a, a friend who I used to talk to often, and at the time she was going through uh, a job change, and with her new job, she would always say, you know, or often, more often than not, not always, but more often than not, she was very stressed about, you know, I don't want to lose my job, I don't want to lose my job, I'm, you know, they're going to fire me, I'm this, that, and the other thing, and all of this you know, I don't want to get fired. I don't want to get fired. She was so focused on that, that it sort of uh, negatively impacted her performance at the job where, you know, if you keep going in that way, then you will end up getting fired. Um, so these interesting concepts between forgiveness, target fixation, um, are things that we can see in this, in this world. And transfer them to the other parts of our lives it's not specific to motorcycle riding it's it's general uh, themes another interesting one that i find to be really beautiful is is the two-wheeled community in general <clears throat> um, you know it's almost like a, a cult even because uh, there's little things about it where that are just kind of unsung rules right unwritten rules of of the trade and one of the biggest one is if, if you see another bike pulled over on the side of the road, you should stop and see if you can help them because maybe they need a tool that you have or maybe they're just out of gas and you can. It's just like this, this beautiful brotherhood, this beautiful family of whether they ride because there's usually these lines, right, between who rides sport bikes and who rides this and who rides that. And, but these lines get kind of erased in these other situations where if someone's pulled over, you know, anybody would stop and check on you or at least like honk and give you a, like a thumbs up or something. Um, and it's just like this really caring thing. Another interesting thing that happens is when it rains, right? Everybody meets underneath the underpasses, mostly because folks have rain gear that they're going to put on or they're hiding from the rain, you know, and everybody kind of gets together and, and is just really looking out for each other. It's like, it's a beautiful thing. And as far as that being another value that uh, 
can be transferred to day-to-day life is, is that caring, seeing, you know, maybe it's not everybody on a motorcycle, but everybody that's a, a living human being, right? We have this thing in common and we should, we should always look out for one another. So many people in that community had uh, given me places to stay, uh, given me food, given me uh, coffee, which I don't usually drink, but I was, <laughs> was drinking those days because it was just offered to me like that. <clears throat> so you see the love and you see uh, the caring and, and selflessness in people. Uh, how can we transfer that to, to everybody all the time? regardless of who they are and, and what they look like and where they're from. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. So I don't want to encourage uh, people to go ride motorcycles uh, because it comes with a risk. But for anybody that does or, or you know, has that understanding, I think a lot of these things will, will make a bit of sense. Uh, and this is not just true for this. It's true for anything. Everything has this um, kind of metaphorical relationship this, that can be applied. I mean, I look at the world of, uh, of calligraphy, for instance, uh, a thing that I have st- studied for some years and how that applies. Uh, needing to put yourself in a calm and focused place, right? So you say, well, I do my best work when I'm focused and when I have no distractions and when I'm really, really, really meditative about this. So then you say, well, how can I make that happen more often? Uh, I cannot eat foods that will make me jittery. I can uh, learn to be calm more often. So that way, when I start to work, I'll be calm more often. And so everything has this refining process if we allow it to. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing about any kind of craft or anything, any vocation, uh, jobs, relationships, anything can, can have this refining uh, alchemical metaphor to it. It's it's a wonderful world we live in that we have these opportunities to to better ourselves if we're open to it. So that's I guess like the long and short. Not to so as far as 2019 goes, uh, I had a really heart melting time traveling over to Utah and uh, spending the time out there was was a real blessing as well. Uh, so it's been all in all, a really wonderful year as far as healing and uh, bettering my relationships with people in, in my day-to-day life. Uh, that just being a small, a small piece of it, but maybe the more interesting thing to talk about. <laughs> what an interesting thing to talk about. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful recounting of, of your journey and, and a mapping out of kind of the principles of of that out into, into day-to-day life, as you said. Um, and, and, you know, in, in any situation, like you, like you said, any, any kind of discipline or realm of, of like deep study and, you know, motorcycle riders or calligraphy or horseback riders or, um, you know, sports a specific sport or a specific whatever it is you know that that sort of camaraderie and and kind of in-group protection and um, lowering of barriers that are there normally to you know care for one another um, that's a beautiful thing to to you know continue to cultivate in day-to-day life because 
Walking around ain't any less dangerous than riding a motorcycle. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and everybody, everybody needs some tool that you have or, or some, uh, you know, some encouragement that you, you can give or, or some directions that you know, and they don't. Um, and, and if that stuff can be provided with love and, and from a place of, of kind of unconditional care, then, then everybody, everybody gets where they're going a little faster, even if they don't have a def- destination, you know, they at least, they at least keep going. Um, Zen in the art of motorcycle riding. <laughs> I think yeah, but again, not specific a, to that. A, I mean, something simple as going to the grocery store, right? Can be a well, absolutely yeah, yeah. loving process. Your tail is wonderful. Um, and it, and the allegory to, you know, all these other, um, you know, the spiritual life in general is, is, a, is a beautiful thing that you've, that you've certainly put thought into. So let me, let me, <laughs> let me tell you a, a, a more specific tale about learning, learning some lessons the hard way. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, please. All right. So <clears throat> after, after I got back from Utah, right, I was going to the Kentucky monastery, the monastery out in Kentucky, uh, also again on two wheels, um, I was coming from New York heading to Kentucky and I had chosen to go the way of Skyline Drive, which is a beautiful road through Shenandoah National Park. Um, and it was where, I mean, many years ago when I first started riding, um, I took like my first long trek through through there. So it is just like this beautiful, windy, well-maintained road. And after Southern, so going through the Southern part of the park, uh, I headed West through West Virginia. And in that part of Virginia, West Virginia, on the way down, right, I was constantly avoiding the rain. It was almost as if it was trying to get me, but I would either be like just ahead of it and it would miss me or like I would come around a bend and it looked like the rain had just been there, uh, staying dry that whole time, heading out to Kentucky. Um, I was out there for most of August and then on the way back, uh, from the monastery back to New York, I had gone in the same way, uh, same way back through West Virginia. And as I got to about that same point where the rain left me last time, there it was waiting for me, right? And around every bend, you know, it was there, it was not there, uh, it would miss me. And it began to play this kind of, uh, I don't know, <laughs> this game, almost this cat and mouse game with it. So I'm coming around this bend in these mountains, right? Uh, And I see between the mountains where the road goes, almost in this little valley, this big wall of rain. So uh, I could hear the rain laughing, like, I've got you this time. And yet there was an exit really, like, really abruptly. I'd like, you know, know, get off at the exit. (laughs) Not that dramatic, but. um, And there's an overhang at a gas station. And I go into the gas station. I ask the gentleman if he minds if I just hang out while the rain passes. And. He was totally cool about it. You know, yeah, hang out as long as you want. Um, so let's backtrack. Long distance motorcycle riding. I told you for me, it's not necessarily about the cool factor. So I do wear a fanny pack because I can keep a phone in there. I can keep cash in there for when I come up to tolls. Uh, ID in there. It's just super easy to access, really convenient. Um, so I pulled the phone out. Uh, I have a smartphone. So I pulled the phone out and I was looking at the weather uh, they do this interesting thing called the minute cast, right? Where I can see where I am, what's going to happen, presumably. 
and I'm keeping an eye on the clouds, keeping an eye on this. And um, it looks like the, there's like the clouds are parting around uh, these two kind of peaks. And I checked the minute cast and it's like, you know, you have a 10 minute window of no rain. So I take the phone, uh, sorry, so I take the fanny pack, right? I had taken it off while I was waiting at, at the gas station. And I put everything into it and I stuff it into, I had a hoodie on into that pocket, that little kangaroo pouch pocket. And I hop on the bike and I just, you know, I'm zipping through trying to avoid this rain. And there's this straight run now after these twisty, twisty roads. And I am like getting a drop on my helmet and then like nothing and then a drop. And then it's like this straight shot. And I look over my shoulder and these big storm clouds are about to converge on the road. And I'm like, you know, just ahead of it. <laughs> and I just give it the gas and I zoom. And these clouds just kind of almost like an Indiana Jones movie. They come together and right as they come together and like this wall of rain is falling, I just, just kind of narrowly escape it. And so I turn around right over my shoulder to look at this. I mean, cause it's truly beautiful. I'm glad it wasn't on me, but just like these, these two storms coming together and I turn around to do it. Uh, and I'm looking backwards and I go, Woo! because <laughs> I had survived. And as I do that, the wind had blown the fanny pack out of my hoodie pocket onto the road. So I slow down quickly uh, over to the shoulder of the highway and I get off the bike real quick and I'm running back uh, about, I don't know, 50 yards maybe to where it's sitting on the road, two lanes going in the direction I was going in. And there were three cars coming. Uh, now let's backtrack again real quick. Uh, you know how people make their trucks really big and their Jeeps really big? Lift it up. Yeah, yeah, with big wheels and stuff. Um, so in, in Puerto Rico, my friend Oscar, uh, he says that down there they call those things Bigfoot. Uh, I guess because they have big feet. I don't know, big wheels. But either way, I preface with that because you'll see where we're going. So there's three cars coming. Uh, as I'm running down the shoulder of the, of the highway and the first car sees what is going on and he gets out of the way. And the second car sees the first car kind of uh, change lanes like that and just follows kind of his path. Then there's a bit of a gap of a distance. And this third car, right, was one of these big lifted up trucks and Bigfoot's big feet just kind of like roll over, <laughs> roll over the, the fanny pack. Right. Oh, uh, now, in my rush, I did not zip it up. I just stuffed it into my pocket. So when he rolled over it, now my phone was not in there. Thankfully, I put it in a different pocket. But when he rolled over it, uh, you know, it was like credit cards and can't, not credit card. I have like one credit card, but my ID, everything in my wallet just like goes flying all over the road <laughs> in this glorious shower of the things that I own. Um, so after that car passes, there's no, there's no cars in sight really. So, um, I go into the road and I'm just like gathering up the things that I can and, uh, I get the important things first. And then I'm like looking for the change and other small things. And right as I'm doing that, all of a sudden there's this, 
boom, like a giant raindrop falls onto my helmet and another and another and another and the rain had caught me, you know, so I'm just like, oh, whatever, I've got everything I need. And I clip the fanny pack on the right way and I run back the other direction, get on the bike and take off. I'm in the rain for like two minutes and then I escape it. Thank God. So we look at that silly tale and say, what, where is the spiritual lesson in this, right? So first and foremost, where did I make the first mistake was in my, uh, me being so worldly attached to the phone, right? And rather than depend on all these other things, I'm just like hooked into this, trying to figure out uh, when I can go and when I can't go. So it's kind of like this worldly dependency in a way. Now the phone is great and it's helped me through a lot of things. I'm not, you know, demonizing phones. It's just, for me, it was a thing of just, you know, for me, that's kind of what it meant because I'm really not so attached to the thing. But in this moment, I, I was. And in that, then, my second big mistake was that I rushed. I did not take my time and thoughtfully put everything away and thoughtfully, you know, make a move and maybe pray before I start riding again, as I will typically do. But instead, I rushed. And in my rushing, I thankfully put the phone in a different pocket, but I just shoved the fanny pack into my sweatshirt pocket, which was not a great idea, obviously. What else is a spiritual lesson to take away from this? <clears throat> my arrogance, because if I didn't turn around to laugh at the rain, that thing wouldn't have blown out of my pocket. But because when I shifted my body around, it kind of made a wind tunnel through the pocket and it just kind of sucked my little bag right out. Uh, and so maybe, uh, if I was less arrogant, it would have just stayed in there. And so what's the other thing that I have to learn through this was attachment because I didn't have time to pick everything up, you know? So a part of me had to just say, well, you know, what's left behind is left behind. I can't, I can't stop and, and wait around for this. So in such a simple, you know, simple little experience that, uh, thank God, you know, I'm able to laugh about it and in the moment I'm able to laugh about it. But, um, even in, in this story, right? Because you stop and you laugh and you see, how could I be so foolish, you know? And, but I learn about worldliness, mindfulness, not rushing, attachment, arrogance, all in, you know, the course of 45 minutes. And so again, it's, it's not specific to motorcycle riding. It's just the fact that uh, if we choose to shift our perspective to how we view the things that happen to us in life, right, is is where we see that everything, everything is moving us towards that goal of just uh, becoming more refined people in, in regards to uh, this goal of being honest, loving, sincere, selfless. Everything pushes us towards that. And that's kind of where we can see uh, the lightness and in all of it. And, you know, in retrospect, look at how, how foolish I am, you know? <laughs> <laughs> how silly to be so arrogant to laugh at the rain, you know, because the rain got the last laugh. Uh, interesting. Absolutely. To see the world in a grain of sand, you know, every, every experience, every even very short tale, as you said, holds so much juicy goodness for um, kind of reframing, extracting lessons, and you know paying close attention to the the large and small messages that the the world is is placing in your path yeah 
And you still have to stop at stop signs. You still have to stop at stop signs. <laughs> Even on a motorcycle? Even on a motorcycle. What? Uh, you know, I see a lot of people blowing stop signs these days. I don't know how it's like in Florida, but up here. Um, so maybe just as a public service announcement, <laughs> you still have to stop at stop signs. If you get anything from this recording, please stop at stop signs. <laughs> yeah, so... So I think that's all I've got about all this, but um, I think that was that was fun. Thanks for letting me talk about all that. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks you. Thank you for sharing uh, your your journey and and lessons therein. We will be um, you'll be spending the week at your monastery. Yeah, so I'll be up at uh, the abbey. Um, Upstate New York, very close to Canada. So it's a bit of a ride, um, but uh, it's necessary. I think I've been very, uh, very much in need of, of some silence, but also um, that I guess my spiritual director, spiritual father, he's um, getting much older and I think we'll have an opportunity to spend some time together, which I will look forward to very much. Uh, Lord willing, um, we we are because a lot of it depends on kind of where he's at with with his health and whatnot. So uh, either way, yes. And I think the next time we reconvene, uh, maybe we can talk about all that stuff. Yeah, we'll be we'll be in a place to to hear about um, you know your your time there. I'm looking forward to that very much. Thanks, James. Uh, yeah, and I, I hope you have a fantastic week too and maybe uh i don't know maybe you'll have all kinds of things to share as well because maybe i'll be still so silent and have nothing to say <laughs> maybe we can uh, just record an hour of us silent meditating yeah that could be really pleasant too <laughs> there's a funny story somebody told me once about uh this artist a long time ago uh, he was pretty well known and I guess had a big following. Uh, this is back like in the days where, I mean, maybe it's still like that, I don't know, but it was like a big um, fancy event to go to the opening and you know, only the top tier of humanity went, do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And so the, the gallery opening is supposed to be at, let's say seven o'clock and it's locked, right? Nobody's there. The lights are out and people are waiting and getting impatient. And uh, about an hour passes by and somebody comes up to the crowd outside that is, you know, getting really uh, un unhappy. And it's a letter, a statement about the performance piece they just witnessed called Patience or something like that, you know? And the idea was, <laughs> I don't know about, about that. I might have that story slightly wrong, but Maybe. I, I I like it. I get the meat of it. I, I like that. Maybe a podcast with no words might not be such a bad idea. <laughs> I think it sounds like a good thing. Oh. Uh, we're adding that to the docket. The silent. Oh. Episode. Say that again. I'm, I'm adding the silent episode to the uh, <laughs> to the list of stuff we've got to do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not opposed. Excellent. Well, much love for you, brother. Yeah, I love you so much, too. Thanks again, as always, taking the time to, to do this. Absolutely.
Um, we'll I'll talk, talk to you in a soon. week. Yeah. Lord willing. God bless you, James. God bless you. Bye.